0: Welcome back to episode five of this season of Polyphony. Today we are going to be talking with founders who have started up new groups. We have with us today Gio Hernandez who is from the Ozarks which is a K-12 group and was in the Bare Tones prior to that. We have Nick Gomez-Cologne who has started Inside Voices and fine-tuned both virtual groups and was in the Mel UDs and is currently in Exit 245. And we also have Becca Cravello who is from the University of Massachusetts Lowell Hawkettes, who founded that group and is now high school director of the Saga Chimes. And here is your host for this evening. It's Aaron.
1: Thanks so much Rachel. Hopefully beyond this evening, but I guess we'll see how this episode goes.
0: I'd love to, Nick, maybe start with you and
1: talk a little more about your founding experience, kind of about the groups that you founded. Why do that? What prompted you to start a new group as opposed to kind of finding a, a different niche within the community that was already there?
2: Yeah, well, first off, thank you all so much for having me on. I'm super excited to be talking about this. This is a topic I could talk about forever. It's funny because even though I'm the founder of two different groups, they both had kind of different stories. Inside Voices was kind of founded by myself and two other members, their names being Matthew Price and Nathan Rusley. We're all people from the Mid-Atlantic area. We kind of knew each other from like ICCAs and other events like those. So it very much came from Matt's idea to start a group in the height of quarantine during the start of the pandemic. So it was very much just like, starting a virtual group on paper, kind of seeing where it went. Now the group has grown to a semi-professional level, participating in the open, participating in other festivals along that line. So it was very much like just kind of seeing what happened. So we started small and the group is still continuing to work their way up. And then Fine Tune was a little bit more special. That was founded by myself and our other co-founder, her name is Chapin Smith. We were both interns for a company called Cutoff Studios. We were both in the audio production department and this kind of came from just a desire to not only do a cappella and continue that after the post-collegiate or it could continue that post-collegiate but also just allow for an outlet for aspiring arrangers, producers and just people who wanted to sing who didn't have the normal time to to have an outlet to do that. So different routes taken with both groups but the best experiences came out of both.
1: And with Fine Tuned, that was a little later. Was that a little later in the pandemic cycle, sort of a little more recent than Inside Voices? Why go virtual on that one as well?
2: Yeah. So very good question. So Inside Voices was formed, at say, May, June 2020. And then Fine Tuned was July 2021. So considerably later in the pandemic's lifetime. However, we felt that with it being a virtual format, it would provide for an outlet that was more oriented towards our members. Most of the members of Fine-Tuned are people who do have like full-time commitments, whether it's with work, with school, with internships or things along those lines. So we really want to create a a flexible but feasible outlet for them to still be in a group, but also one that kind of revolved around their schedule and put the people first.
1: Did that affect the groups being virtual? How did that impact recruiting and identifying folks to join it would seem like it would give you both more options conceivably but also different options
2: it was very interesting for us to recruit for both groups. For Inside Voices, that was very much just a shot in the dark. It was very much just uh, us making a little audition flyer, posting it in acapella now on Facebook, and just kind of seeing what happened from there. And it was a really great way to get us uh, some connections within the community. And pretty much every member of the group right now we found through that Facebook group, So it's really connected us with a lot of people. And then for fine-tuned, it was very much Chapin and myself recruiting people that we knew. Uh, A good number of members from the group are people that we previously sang with in other groups. We thought that would allow for people who are really passionate about acapella, but just couldn't do it after the traditional four years of college to give them another outlet again, which was a really great opportunity. And yeah, it's really allowed us to come together in a bunch of unique ways. Definitely different, but unique in a very good way.
1: Awesome. Becca, let's talk about the Hawkeyes a little bit. What was the scene at UMass Lowell that prompted you to start up a group? What was that decision-making process?
3: So in 2013, I transferred to UMass Lowell, and that was about a year after Pitch Perfect, the movie, came out. So there was a huge, huge influx of people that were interested in acapella. And, you know, more than the three current groups on campus could really accommodate. And one of the leadership members of a group, you know, knew I did acapella in high school and was like, would you be interested in starting a group? So I kind of just took that as as a reason to do it. And I kind of just jumped right in. And I think that's helped accommodate a lot of the people that wanted to do acapella on campus.
1: So did you have an inclination to group before you kind of got commandeered into it? Was that already kind of a thought in the back of your mind or was that a novel concept at the time?
3: I honestly didn't, and I don't know, I think it was just kind of, it was a nice thing to hear from someone, and it kind of gave me that confidence. I think I was just planning on auditioning for a group, but it kind of just worked out that... Someone kind of put that bug in my ear.
1: Fortuitously, it sounds like. That was great.
3: Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah.
1: So sort of similar question to Nick, but in a slightly different context around recruitment. It sounds like recruitment might have been a little bit of a non-issue for you in that you had the campus community and everyone was super jazzed about acapella at the time. Was that your experience or was it hard to get folks interested in a new group when there were three already established?
3: So the leadership of the other groups at the time definitely helped me out. So they were at my first auditions. They kind of guided me through. I had, you know, ideas as to what to do, but, you know, some of them were older than me, so they kind of knew the ropes. So they kind of acted as some guides in that aspect.
1: And did that help also with just, I mean, you had obviously, you weren't new to a cappella, but new to to perhaps the founding process? Did, did they help with logistics of auditioning and you know what goes into the audition process? And it seems like it feels a little different when you're on the other side of the table.
3: Right. I honestly feel like I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted them to come in, sing a solo, do some sight reading. I feel like they were really there for, I guess, emotional support, and they just wanted to be there as like a sounding board. So I think I was able to kind of make it work, and they were there as the experienced ones on campus to help me out.
1: Nice. Geo, you know, how about the Ozarks? Talk about the, the origin story there. What was the founding idea?
4: Sure. Well, yeah, again, like everyone else said, thank you for, for having me on. So, there's actually three founders of the Ozarks. So, there's myself, and then Luke Thomas, and Briar Douglas. And so, we all sang in the baritones together uh, at the same time. We had some really cool experiences, and we had just kind of talked about we live in, so we're, we're from Springfield, Missouri, which most people wouldn't really think about, uh, but there's a really rich choir tradition in Missouri, and specifically in, in the Southwest Missouri area. And we just we heard all these local high schools, and we were just thinking, like, man, it's not really a thing here. Acapella isn't. And so it's very choir heavy. So we were like, man, there's not really any, anything. There's groups at Missouri State that have, you know, had a lot of success, but there's not really any sort of proper pipeline to get people interested in acapella earlier. And so what we decided was like, man, there's so much talent here. There's such great teaching. I think we want to take advantage of that. And so it it was kind of funny, actually, because I was teaching in Kansas City at the time. And so we were all trying to, trying to go together and just figure, out, you know, how we were going to do this. Then the pandemic happened. And so we were like, oh, well, we've seen these models of specifically the Acapella Academy. So we we just took their audition process and was like, hey, people are at home anyway. They don't have anything else to do. So we figured they can submit tapes and they can join this group. And we just assumed, you know, that things I don't know if this was naivete, but we just assumed that things would be better and things would be operating again. And so we just kind of went went head first. And yeah, that's just kind of we just saw a need and thought we should try and fill it.
1: So, where place the timing in the context of the pandemic? Sort of when did all this go down? You mentioned that it it ramped up after March 2020 when the world shut down. When in that cycle were you doing auditions and forming the group? And how did that?
4: Yeah, sure. So we, uh, so Luke and I had actually talked about this for the whole time we had been in college together of like, oh, this would be cool. This would be cool. And never really felt it was the right time for either of us uh, still being students. And then, you know, we were teaching and, and then I just, we were like, oh, this is, this is the time right now. And so we had talked about it kind of that year going forward. And that was when Briar was in because Briar and Luke were both locally in Springfield. And I was just going to be like a consultant almost. So they were kind of spearheading that with me kind of like, hey, I'll, I'll help where I can. And then I ended up somehow getting a job to come back to Springfield. And so we were like, oh, this is the time. So we actually had the deadline for May 1st as our deadline. So really, right, right as soon as the pandemic happened. And again, I I think that's the naivete of like, we have no idea what's going to happen. We thought we were going to go back to school in in three weeks. And so we were like, okay, well, we can, you know, meet together at the end of the at the in the spring and start doing summer rehearsals and then, you know, get into the fall. And so, yeah, we just we just kind of went for it. So really, really early in the pandemic when we didn't know what was going on we just kind of went for it.
1: And so did you how long did you stay virtual? I mean have you I assume have you met together since?
4: Yeah so the the group has almost entirely been in person. And so which was it was kind of crazy At the beginning our first rehearsals were actually in a parking lot because we had no space yet we were still didn't really know what we were doing so we were like hey here's this parking lot it's by up. and uh, you'll come sing with masks on and we'll give you some time inside as like a 10 minute break in between but then that, that was kind of it so we, you know we were lucky especially with you know the regulations in our area so that we were able to meet in person and we've rehearsed with masks on and we were lucky enough to find a space uh, when the winter came so we didn't have to do that outside
1: i was gonna ask you about <laughs> december so- rehearsals because that's a little yeah. rough in a parking
4: yeah. lot. Yeah, one of our members uh, was able to talk to a pastor at, at one of their churches, and so we we have just an agreement <laughs> with with a church now, which is a lot better than singing in a parking lot in December outside. It gets pretty frigid frigid down here yeah so so yeah that was that was just kind of how we did that and just kind of flew by the seat of our pants really that's part of singing in person with high schoolers for the first time but then also specifically in a pandemic where we are just trying a bunch of different things and not seeing not knowing what's landing so
1: you talked about the the strength of the choral sort of infrastructure in that part of missouri and i wonder if as you kind of got the word out about the ozarks were you able to rely on that at all or partner with some of the directors in the area that had some of these talented kids in their programs
4: sure well so i actually am a choir teacher in the area so i teach middle school but you know i'm friends with all those people and so essentially what it was was hey who are your best students because we, we had gotten some really good advice from Rob Dietz with the legacy model of, hey, you really really just need a really strong first group to put a, have a product out there to show teachers that this is actually a musically meritable, I guess, if that's the word, but that this is actually something that's worth them advocating their students to do. And so looking at lists of all staters in the area and contacting them directly, contacting their parents directly. And then so I still have good relationships with all of them. And so even this year it was, hey, what can you talk me about this student who's auditioned you know so even then it's a it's a second point of review of okay they had a great audition but if they are not reliable at school then it's going to be hard for us to do that and so that's actually a main leg that we've stood on was the support and just relationships that we had already built just from being in the community that's awesome
1: becco you talked about the the startup process around auditioning and getting folks in the door I, i wonder if you already went in also with a sense about the logistics of just running the group. How often are you meeting? When is that happening? What's the kind of vibe around? Are the Hawkettes going to just be all about work and work and the music? and Or is it going to uh-huh. be like a, you know, casual fun? Let's hang out and maybe sing a little. Or I mean, you know, there's a, <laughs> sort of a big continuum. Did you go in <laughs> with that? understanding or did you kind of feel your way through it or how did that how'd that go
3: i mean when i did acapella in high school you know we met two days a week so i was like okay i'll use that as my foundation i think i found a happy medium between what you said i think i definitely wanted the singers to be hard working i was a music major so i wanted there to be a, a high caliber of music but i also wanted it to be a place where students could de-stress and i didn't want it to be you know a super intense environment so it did take some kind of feeling out as i went on but i do think that I had that kind of set standard of like, okay, finding a happy medium between working really hard and having a stress-free environment.
1: Did that evolve over time or did it kind of stick to where you thought it was going to be from the beginning?
3: I think it evolved over time in the sense that we really tried to stick to it as the years went on. I there were times where maybe there were members that That didn't really stick to that expectation and we kind of had to like put our foot down I see way as like me plus the officers at the time we really had to kind of put our foot down and say you know this is really our expectation if this is not for you there are other groups on campus or you know you find something else but this is what we want and we hope that you can accommodate to it."
1: it sounds like then it was more about kind of enforcing what your initial expectations were as opposed to letting the expectations drift
3: yes absolutely gotcha
1: Nick how about for you I mean when you were starting these groups particularly virtually there weren't quite as many models to choose from around figuring out the logistics of just how to do this did you have models to work from or did you just kind of feel your way through it how'd that go?
2: Yes, I personally really recall any models that we kind of followed. As I mentioned before, it was very much like the three founders of Inside of Voices just kind of like talking in a big Facebook group chat for weeks. And it was very much like figuring out what's the constitution going to look like? What kind of things do we want to do? What's our workflow going to be? Because we didn't really have a model to follow. We just kind of had a lot to think about. And what Gio said earlier, like we wanted to like kind of start strong in terms of like just getting a good team together. Because at least then we had the founders foundation to work towards. So it was very much just like kind of feeling our way through and involved a lot of communication with the other members, kind of talking about what they wanted, what they kind of expected and kind of working towards that. But I would definitely say like when it, when it came around time, the founding fine tuning, I definitely had a little bit more of a model to follow, definitely a little bit more, I guess you can say curriculum to follow in that sense. But it definitely, like, taught me a lot in both experiences.
1: What did you, I mean, after having done Inside Voices, if you'll pardon the, the pun, what did you fine-tune with Fine-Tuned? Uh, I mean, what did you adjust in that process?
2: So it definitely taught me a lot about flexibility. As I mentioned, like one of the biggest traits that fine that defines fine-tuned as a group is just like the flexibility around its members. I feel as though the group is very talented and just like really putting the people first is something that we really wanted to prioritize from the beginning. So I'd definitely say it taught me a lot about just like patience and really working with the people first and then focusing on the product later. I would say, compared to Inside Voices. It also just really taught me, especially like as the founder of that group, taught me a lot about communication skills and really just fostering a connection with the people first. And then once you have that connection, fostering the music you want to make with them. So I wouldn't say it taught me so much musically, but taught me more just about, taught me more organically about like just communicating in a group like that.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: I mean, you mentioned the
1: musical side of it. Did you have a vision with the co-founders of either group going in about everything from how many, what genders, what kind of rep? I mean, there's uh, there are a lot of decisions that you sort of have to contemplate as a founder, it seems like, that aren't they're already made for you in a lot of ways when you join or lead a group later.
2: Yes, so there was, especially for Inside Voices, there was quite a few things that we really wanted to consider. And you mentioned a couple already, like the gender orientation of the group, how many members we were considering, what the goal of the group was going to be, how relaxed, how intense the group was going to be. There was definitely a lot of considerations that we had. Although I will say, I don't think we really stuck to any of those personally. (laughs) Well, we kind of did that on purpose because as I said, we really wanted like, we wanted the group to form not just by the three of us But really by the eight members, we ended up recruiting in the very first version of the group. So it was very much like we had ideas and then sharing those with the group. And then once we got eight new members to form our first rendition of the group, forming our vision and planning everything around that. So we we really wanted to emphasize the group is meant to be a collaborative force, not just three people telling them what to do, especially because, you know, they were all like adults, like 18 and up in terms of age. So we really wanted it to be like a collaborative thing more than anything.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to collaborate more with Nick, Becca, and Gio in just a few moments, but we'll take a quick break. On the other side, we'll talk more with the groups or more with these folks about their experiences founding these groups. Things like how is the initial group different from successive classes? And what were some of the difficulties and successes they had in recruiting and building up that group? So we'll be back in just a little bit. Stick with us.
1: You can get vocal perspective anywhere, but what about vocal her Catch the talk show from the female point of view, bringing you the talented women of a cappella. Hear these women's journeys and what amazing things they're up to now, both in front of and behind the mic. Vocal Perspective airs Tuesdays at 9 p.m. East, 6 p.m. West, and Sundays at 10.30 p.m. East, 7.30 p.m. West. In Asia, it's on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Tokyo time, and in Europe, it's Saturdays at 6.30 p.m. London time.
0: And we are back with Gio Hernandez, who has founded the Ozarks. Nick Gomez-Colone, who has founded Inside Voices and Fine-Tuned, and Becca Crivello, who founded the UMass. Lowell
1: Hawkett And here again is your Thanks, Rachel. Gio, I wonder about, you know, you talked about the pandemic kind of riding in uh, in this process, sort of smack dab in the recruitment process on auditioning. Do you feel like on balance, what impact do you feel like the pandemic had for you and for putting the Ozarks together? Was it a help in that you suddenly had capacity, I suppose, or were there any benefits or was it all downside? What was the impact for you?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think going back to kind of our origin in an audition story, I think the pandemic gave us an excuse to believe that kids would have time to do it. So that was like a big thing for us was like, you know, again, we, we don't think they have anything else to do because I knew my students at the time weren't really participating in school. And I was like, well, these other kids probably aren't either. Yeah. So we just thought, you know, if this is something that they actually want to do, and if this is something that, you know, they have time for, they'll do it. And if we don't have anybody audition. We'll try again when this is over. But if we do and then this becomes an actual thing, well, then we have an actual thing and that we and we actually have to do it now. So, yeah, I think that was exactly what we needed. And again, you know, starting in a parking lot, it wasn't ideal. But, you know, by the end of last year, when we were in a groove and we had gotten to the point where we were, people had, you know, forgotten about that. And people, had, it was almost like a distant memory of, hey, you remember when we started rehearsing in a parking lot? And uh, I think that's also the benefit of teaching high schoolers as well they don't always have the awareness to in the moment think oh this is this is kind of weird what we're doing but more of just like oh just going with it and this is the only thing they expect and that's the only uh, experience they've had because it's the only experience any of us have had yeah
1: for sure did you have specific musical goals going in around either achievement or rep or anything like that for
4: the ozarks Sure. Going back to just our background going into it, we knew that there was a high quality singers and high caliber musicianship that was being taught. And so <laughs> we were just kind of in the vein of like, hey, we're just going to just push them as hard as we can. We actually Luke Briar and I actually sang in choir together at Missouri State. And our training very much is the, hey, working hard is really fun. And that's how you have fun is by working really hard and doing really, really cool music and making really awesome music together. And then, you know, you can go and do leisurely things outside of rehearsal. But when it's rehearsal time, it's time to work hard. And so that's kind of, the you know, the training that I have as a music educator and kind of all the only thing that we had known. And so we kind of set it up to them of like, hey, you know, I think we had five or six All-Staters in the group, people who were ready to perform at a really high level. And they were the cream of the crop, if you will, at their own schools. And they're the ones who work hard and get annoyed when people are talking during rehearsal and all those things. And I mean, I think everyone knows the, the type. And so it was kind of the thing of like, hey, don't. Don't be the person that wastes everybody else's time because we only only rehearse once a week. And so don't be the person that wastes other people's time. Don't be the person that you talk about at your school in this group because you know how that feels. And so, yeah, I think musical excellence, again, because I think we were so nervous about being credible to the area directors as well. So being as excellent as we could with all of the best kids who weren't going to act like fools when they go back to their schools. And so, yeah, I think we were lucky to have students that bought into that. Again, and that was what their expectations were at their schools. And so that was just the only thing they knew. So we were really lucky in that vein, I think.
1: Yeah, for sure. Becca, Gio talked about the idea of sort of transmitting culture by having conversations about it. You know, don't be that person, that kind of thing. Is that something that you did in the early days of the Hawkettes as well? Is that, I mean, how did you get the cultural norms Figured out and communicated.
3: It was kind of in two parts. So, one of them was a written part. So, we had a code of conduct that kind of detailed all the expectations, and I had everybody sign their own copy just to make sure they read through it and they've understood the expectations. So, there was that element that I felt like I could hold them to. The other part was at times I did need to give like oral reminders, whether it was about you know hey when we start at 7:30 it's it's 7:30 or i'm trying to think of other examples but in terms of keeping up with being kind in the group being kind to other members you know understanding that we are all college students and we're all pretty stressed so we might come in with that kind of baggage so just being mindful of that so any more casual reminders were you know occasional but I did kind of have a written statement of what the expectations were at the beginning
1: and you mentioned around sort of then successive groups as you were in the group from founding on that sometimes it required some reminders and sometimes as group members evolved it meant kind of going back to that as a touchstone I wonder if there are other ways in which you feel like later in iterations of the Huckettes were different than that first group? I mean, how did the group evolve while you were?
3: So, I mean, while I was in it, I think my short-term goals were performing at concerts. And then my long-term goals were, you know, I want to record songs. I want to record EPs. That requires a pretty high level of dedication. So I think as the group went on, I really tried to emphasize you guys need to practice on your own time. You need to come here and be prepared. So I think like I was saying earlier, I think as the group evolved, I put my foot down a bit more often. And as I got older to realizing, you know, as a music educator, being in school for that, understanding how important that is. So I think there is that evolution of, okay, if we want to do these really cool things, you got to be down to to, to do the hard work yeah and is the the founder on our panel
4: uh oh joe did
1: you want to jump in on that
4: no i just i was retweeting that that Excellent. was a point of emphasis <laughs> that i that i think needs to yeah that was good stuff
1: a sign on <laughs> there from geo for sure becca you are the founder on our panel with i think the greatest distance from the founding to today and i wonder the b part of that question that you kind of hinted at which is then how has the evolution of the group been since you left it in the years since
3: Well, I just want to say it's been so amazing to watch them evolve and just feel like, honestly, like they don't need me. It was cool to be that founder and, you know, be the music director for a while, but seeing them be successful without me is my greatest joy. You know, I think a big part of that is that they were able to go there, which at the time, like when I was in it, we didn't really get to do that. You know, I would say we were at a, a good caliber, but we weren't at that caliber yet. So it's been great to see them evolve to be able to do that. And I also think they've just they've taken the root of the group and they've kind of let it flourish a little bit more, even in just, like, the visuals. We started off with, you know, we wore all black and we had, like, purple scarves. But now they've evolved to, they still wear black, but it's more of, like, a purple accent. So, like, small things like that where you think, like, oh, okay, they're no longer this kind of, like, stiff beginning group and they're more of, like, this, here's our expression, here's who we are with ties to the original idea of the group.
1: Yeah. I mean, you talked about sort of the joy you see and feel about seeing the group evolve from your time in it is there any bitter with that sweet? I mean it seems like it was such a seminal experience for you as a group founder to see them do such great stuff not with you I mean is there any sort of part of that in there
3: <laughs> I mean of course I'm jealous that I didn't go to the ICCAs. like of course but you know I think I try to just remind myself hey we provided the the foundation for them to do this and I can be bitter all I want but It is what it is. (laughs) Yeah,
1: for sure. Absolutely. Nick, I wonder about for you with a virtual group, some of the same kinds of cultural questions around making sure everyone kind of has consistent expectation. And even with the flexibility that you talk about with fine-tuned being a kind of a key focus, I mean, there's flexibility and then there's flexibility, you know, where it's a little more perhaps than you want people to take. How do you communicate the boundaries and how to kind of enforce that?
2: Yeah. Oh, good question. So... For Inside Voices, when we were first forming the group and like when the group was first starting with making content, it was very much like from the get-go, a discussion on like what is the most realistic but most consistent schedule that we can make. So we really like picked people's brains in terms of like finding out their schedules. Like, you know, we talked to our producers, our audio producers and video producers about what can you realistically do in XYZ timeframe. So it was very much just like, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, like creating that sense of communication by setting a goal, but also making sure it was as realistic as possible to keep it consistent with our release schedule and with all the content and ideas that we want to put out there. So when we were first forming the group, we definitely took into consideration just what people's availability was, obviously, but also just we asked them about, you know, what their previous acapella experiences were. And you can tell when like people talk about their experiences or when they put them down in an application, you can tell like, their level of commitment and how much thought they really put into it. And a lot of the members that we ended up taking in really showed that in their videos too. So we already kind of had a precedent. It was just a matter of like communicating with that and keeping that as a group. And then for fine-tuned, obviously like you said, it is a little bit more flexible. It's a little bit more easygoing compared to like a group as intense as Inside Voices, but kind of the same idea where we talked about the goals that we had as a group. We talked about what we wanted to do. We talked about songs that we wanted to do, ideas that we had for the group moving forward, but kind of same thing. Just communicating with the group getting goal but also a realistic sense of what the group could do and what time frame and just kind of centering around that that way when it came to actually getting the product we knew what to expect and when to expect it
1: and I know it's been Only a year or two for these groups, but I wonder if you've started to see growth, development, evolution, sort of since the initial members of the group started at your co-founding. For them, are you seeing motion in that way? Whether it's progress or just motion, either way, are you are you seeing change?
2: I would absolutely say that for Inside Voices, the group right now has grown monumentally to creating different types of content on our various social media platforms. As I kind of hinted at earlier, we did compete this past year in the two thousand twenty one Open which was a really, really fun opportunity. We competed uh, and got third place in the Midwest semifinal. We took away the awards for outstanding vocal percussion and outstanding soloist, which was really cool. So it was definitely just like cool to witness the group grow, make different types of content. I know right now the group is planning on recording a full-fledged single as opposed to our mini covers. So that'll be coming out at some point. I can't say the same it happened with Fine Tune, mainly because school year happened, life happened, work happened. However, the group is kind of of planning some stuff behind the scenes and kind of creating not not so much of a constitution but more of a plan moving forward for how the group can look in the future. So I would definitely say for both groups, things are happening and witnessing the growth has just been revolutionary as a founding member of both of them.
1: To what do you attribute the, the rapidity of the growth with Inside Voices? I mean, it seems like it's happened pretty fast.
2: Yeah, it really just came, I would say from just what people were putting into it. People were making content. We asked people to record a song, they'd send us recordings for two or three of them. People, we asked someone to arrange a song, they'd send us arrangements and we'd be like, oh, what can I work on next? So it really just had this surpassing level of workflow from each of the individual members. And as we held more and more auditions down the line, we got really great people that really upped our game and really upped our standards in a way. So much so that I feel that they even surpassed the standards that we first thought of when we formed the group. So it definitely made us ready. It definitely made us much more comfortable with the idea of doing things like the open, recording a single, and these bigger projects that we hadn't even really thought of when we first formed the group. So I would definitely say it is around the people and just like what people were putting in from the moment they joined the group. That's awesome.
1: Gio, you mentioned that one of the surprises for you in this process was that anyone was interested <laughs> when you first, you know, sort of put the word out about it. Were there other surprises that you encountered in the, the founding process for the Ozarks, either either good or bad?
4: Yeah, so I think starting an organization in general, you know, there was a lot of things that were surprises. We run on a tuition-based system, so having to worry about finances was just a real nightmare for me because that's not, I just don't like numbers. I don't like thinking about numbers, and so it's really nice in the sense of, you know, we do have three founders. And so going into it, we had set our roles up of like, hey, this is what each of us brings to the table. And so this is what each of us does really well but yeah the nightmare of starting trying to start like a 501c3 is just the worst thing ever and a lot of forms and trying to figure out fundraising as well which is what we're trying to work on right now on top of the tuition based, because you know we don't get paid we don't do anything like that and so all of the money that we have goes back into their experience that we get and you know and so also figuring out what the best way to frame those experiences i would say as well of hey what are what are we what can we do to give these students the best experience that we didn't have, and also what does that look like? What does the best experience look like for them? So that's a big thing, and then also just uh, how much that these kids really will get into acapella too which was really really exciting for you know for me and i i love choral music that is like home base for me but you know acapella is a close second and so being able to share that with high schoolers who really love it and really think oh man this is this is so cool and this year like not like what i sing at all these rhythms or you know these tight harmonies or all these things and, and getting students excited about that which is really cool so we had multiple students you know from from the ozarks go to our alma mater missouri state and we have one in the group right now and which is really exciting for us, you know, and we have some that are, are waiting to audition just for like music department things and but you know they're they want to keep singing not only they're pursuing music but they want to keep singing a cappella music. Which I think for so so many educators, singing in general is really just kind of what we want our students to take with them. And so giving them multiple avenues to do that. I, I don't expect that all of our people are in choir at their schools, but you know, we had a student who just actually visited this past week from rehearsal, who is transferring schools to come back to Springfield because she said she missed acapella so much and she missed singing so much and she didn't do that at her old school. So she's gonna be transferring and hopefully auditioning at Missouri State for some of those groups. But just the impact that acapella music had on high schoolers, again, from really just being their only experience doing that at all. So that was really, really cool and is still really cool. And I think I'm still trying to process that and all of us as group founders are trying to process that and just contemplate on, oh man, this is actually like substantial Experiences and and these are changing their, these kids' lives, and so that it's cool that you know that was the goal, and that's it's already happening.
1: It seems like a, an amazing indicator of success in terms of building the experiences that you want to build for these kids. That's remarkable.
4: Yeah, you know, and I think ultimately, I think the experience that we fundamentally decided on was you know excellent music, and then just. Having relationships with other people from different schools and just expanding their horizons is what we've kind of boiled down to the smallest nugget of a mission statement, if you will. So being able to give them unique musical experiences while also being able to share that with people that they wouldn't normally get to meet or get to sing with.
0: Well, we will be back in just a few moments. We'll have more to talk about with Becca, Gio, and Nick. We'll be chatting about things like where they hope their group goes in the future and things like how do you prepare your group for your eventual or potential succession and and leaving. So we'll be back in just a moment. Stick with us.
1: Did you know that many of our shows are available as podcasts, too? Nearly a dozen different acapella podcasts can be found on the Acaville Podcast Network at podcast.acaville.org. You can even sign up for the combo feed, and you'll get the latest episodes of all the Acaville podcasts in your podcast app right when they're fresh. From acapella to competition countdown to the spotlight and recording acapella, there's always new acapella content at podcast.acaville.org.
0: And we are back with our founders panel. We have with us. Becca Cravello, Gio Hernandez, and Nick Gomez Colon. Here again is Aaron. Thanks, Rachel. Becca, I'd love to start with you in that your tenure
1: at the Huckets had a natural end. I, I mean, presuming that you eventually were going to graduate, and we assume that that was going to happen at some point. How did you sort of lay the groundwork and make sure that the group would continue to be successful after you were gone? And it wasn't just sort of based on the founder?
3: Uh, well, I crossed my fingers because I was like, well, I've never done this before. Let's hope it works out. But I think part of it was we had a leadership team. So, you know, it was me and three other people. So we talked about what we wanted future leadership to look like, you know, not just with me as a founder, but, you know, what does a music director look like? So I think that helped us a lot. And I think we fortunately had someone in the group that ready to take that next step. So I think it, it really just worked out very nicely. And yeah.
1: Were those conversations that you started to have from the very beginning or did you ramp them up as your departure became more imminent
3: I think I ramped them up once I realized I was graduating and it it wasn't just like a thing that was way off in the future. So definitely my senior year, I was like, okay, I actually have to start having these conversations. I have to face reality a little bit and say goodbye. So I think, you know, we started to have those conversations in the fall of my senior year.
1: What was that goodbye process like for you? I mean, you had a much deeper connection to the group than anybody else who was in it, including those people who were graduating with you and leaving. How did you manage that goodbye process?
3: Well, I think part of the process of saying goodbye when it comes to doing arrangements and stuff, some of my arrangements stayed. So it kind of felt nice to know that a part of me was going to stay with them for at least a little while. So that kind of helped a little bit. But I also felt like after four years of being in college, I felt ready to leave. So I think that also helped. I felt like I had gotten to a point where I was one of the oldest people in the group, not to mention I transferred. So I was older than even the seniors, the seniors in the group. So I was like, okay, I think
1: you were 77 years old is what you're telling us. Yeah, you were a senior citizen. All right. Fair enough.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I got to go. I have like brunch to get to. Like, I can't do this. (laughs) So, you know, I think... Like you said, it it had a really natural end to it. So, you know, there was some sadness, but I felt like it was in good hands. And I felt like there were some parts of me that were left with it. So it worked out.
1: That's awesome. You know, I asked Gio about surprises and I wonder about for you, what other surprises you might have experienced during the, the startup process and the founding process in those early years when you were kind of figuring it out as you went along.
3: I think I was surprised by the balance of personal and professional All of the people in the group, or most of them, I would say, were fellow music majors. They were in my classes with me. Some of them grew to be some of my best friends. Like, I was rooming with someone, you know, for the last two years in college who was in the group. So trying to balance that, you know, hey, I'm your friend, but in 10 minutes, I'm also going to be, like, teaching you music and, like, leading you. So I think there was a a bit of a learning curve with that and you know making sure I was keeping I don't know a bit of a boundary making sure yes while we're in rehearsal you can see me as your friend but I'm also trying to do my job so that was something I wasn't expecting and I think by the time I left I I had a good sense of of what that looked like.
1: How did you learn that because that's not
3: something that comes naturally
1: (laughs) I think to people.
3: No it was a lot of trial and error it was a lot of awkwardness sometimes. If I got into a fight with someone and then had to see them in rehearsal 10 minutes later, it's like, what do you do? You kind of have to, you have to put that stuff aside, you know, not in an unhealthy way, but you know, at some point you have to say like, we're here for the music. You know, I know we just went through something or whatever, But let's take these two hours to do what we need to do. We're not going to halt everybody else's schedule for us. We're going to keep moving on and and deal with it after. Yeah, Nick,
1: you and Gio both have started groups with co-founders, with other folks in the mix from the very beginning and from the early planning stages. And I wonder if there are ways to be more or less successful in doing that, in working with other people in founding something like this and making sure that it reflects everybody's vision and that everybody you know, all the co-founders feel like they're part of that process.
2: I honestly, looking back at both experiences, if I were to do it again, I would not be able to imagine it by my own wow. in any capacity. I really loved getting to just not only strengthen my connection with the humans I worked to find both inside voices and fine-tuned but really it just opened my eyes to a lot of perspectives I would have never thought of. It really taught me that sometimes change can be a good thing and now surely there are people out there who have done and are doing visions, fulfilling visions on their own and more power to them because I would not be able to do that but (laughs) I would definitely say that just for a sense of like for a sense of being organic for the sense of just letting everything come naturally for the sense that like you really picked your brains in every way you can to form something and come to a concise decision having other people in the mix is a monumental aspect and i can safely say that if someone were to message me and be like hey i want to do this what's my advice i would tell them find someone else to do it with you it will broaden your horizons It will teach you so much more than you might think. And yes, there are going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be things that will cause conflicts 10 minutes before rehearsal. But (laughs) it really will just broaden your view and really just having more voices in the mix, just like a group comes together to sing. Having more voices in an exec position or in a founding position is never a bad thing.
1: Did you have to come up with ways to manage those disagreements with co-founders or did you have existing, were your existing relationships with the co-founders strong enough that you already had those in place?
2: I was very fortunate that for both groups, like my connection with the other co-founders was already very strong. For Inside Voices, it was a little bit awkward because the three of us only really knew each other from ICCAs and from being in the same region, but getting to communicate and just like plan and talk a lot more and more really helped us to kind of strengthen our relationship so that way, when a disagreement did come down the road, like we were at least close enough that, like we were able to just like communicate it openly, we were able to be 100% honest with each other and just address the issue and then take it from there. Same thing with fine-tuned, as I mentioned, like my co-founder Chapin and I, like we were literally interns together at the same time, right. for the same acapella company. So like we were already like doing a lot of like mutual work together, already having great back and forth with just our individual projects. And now it was just a matter of like doing a project together, which we hadn't really gotten the chance to do. So we were very fortunate that we were already very close and it definitely like it taught us a lot about, again, patience and just clear, concise communication.
1: And I'll ask you the same question I asked the other two, which is about surprise. A- any other <clears throat> surprises in this process that came along for you?
2: That is a very good question. I really would just say the enthusiasm was something that kind of surprised me. Hearing Gio talk about the Ozarks is very interesting because in a way, like he's very correct that It really just, my group kind of came from people being bored at home looking for something to do. But I guess that was just some, I guess joining a group like that was just something I wasn't expecting that much enthusiasm for. I remember being hesitant that people would be too overwhelmed with just the situation of the pandemic. People would just be too busy. Obviously, a lot of work was transitioned online for a lot of people, so they wanted to focus on that. So that was a legitimate concern I had like what are people going to respond to this how are people going to stick with it and in both groups people were just very open to it they were very patient they were very understanding of the fact that founders had just made this group and were kind of going with the flow with it so it was very very nice to just see the enthusiasm and, and as like the ball started getting rolling for both groups that enthusiasm only grew and it just like really evolved and brought both groups to where they are now. That's awesome. Gio,
1: I wonder about for you, the, the question about co-founders. And you talked about one of the things that you're constantly revisiting is what kind of experience you want to put together for the kids. And obviously, that it seems like that requires a lot of communication and decision making with your fellow founders and leaders of the group. How does that go? How does it work?
4: Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you asked that. I was actually really, really hoping to really to get to talk about some of this. So like I said, we all sang together and Luke and I have known each other since high school. And, we, you know, we didn't we didn't go to high school, but uh, we were roommates in college. Well, we were president and music director of the Baritones for two years. And so, you know, Luke and I are very close friends, like he was just a, a groomsman in my wedding. We're very close. That's really nice because I think, you know, we can kind of say anything that we want to each other and have that safety net, I'll say, of just deep friendship. And Briar, you know, we, we're all very close friends. I think it's also a different being guys as well. So I, I teach middle school, and so there there are things that I can say to the men's chorus that I feel like I can't say to seventh grade girls. And I think that's just kind of the thing too, is like, you know, all of us are are very blunt and uh, we say what we mean, but then we also, again, have that, boundary of, hey, we're all really good friends, and this is just something that we do. So I think that really helped with the conflict aspect of that. You know, we're able to say, hey, this is, so if we disagree, it's not a shot at each other. It's actually, hey, this is for the students. This is not a personal attack on your idea. This is, hey, we need to frame this in the best way that we can for other people, because we're not singing. We're not doing any of that stuff. And I would say also with the decision aspect, we really came into it with the know your role type of thing. So we we all feel really strongly in, in just this idea that we talk about investing in our strengths and then staffing our weaknesses. So again, like I did not want to deal with money at all. Like that was not something I was interested in any logistical aspects. I have to do that at school. I don't want to deal with that at all. Luke was like, oh, that's actually all that I want to do. And I wanna do our branding and I wanna do creative control in that aspect, which is awesome. And then Briar is the glue that holds us all together. He's an excellent musician. So that maybe that's more of a thing too. We are like usually work as co-music directors where we bounce off you know each other and, and get e- each other's ideas and plan songs and, and have just musical ideas together. And I think that also just comes from both of us being able to respect each other as musicians and being able to say, hey, I trust you and I trust your musical brain and you trust mine. And so we can just go forward. I know that, you know, if I'm working with a group and he says, hey, actually do this, it's not like a, oh, how could you take that from under me? It's like, oh no, I actually trust what you do and that's the reason why you're here and that's the reason why we work together. And so, yeah, I think the idea of, I think in college uh, that is a little harder especially as peers kind of what Becca was talking about of like having specific roles and everybody wants to be involved and it's weird being in a leadership role over somebody who is the same age as you or sometimes might be older than you or may have been in the group longer than you. And so that can get really, really catty and really, you know, just dramatic. And so I think for us, you know, again, framing the whole experience and all of our decisions around, hey, what can we do for other people? And how can we make this better for other people? And then just trusting people making decisions kind of in their role. So I don't really ever chat with Luke about money stuff. And I just trust that, you know, that's what he's going to do really, really well. And likewise, you know, Luke doesn't really talk to Breyer and us about music stuff. And he's, you know, he's a really great musician as well. But he, you know, I think he trusts that, hey, we have two former music directors of really successful groups that I think know what we're doing. And so he is very willing to give that up. And so we have, again, the pocket of being friends along with trust and just knowing, hey, this is where you're strong at. And I'm not strong here, but you are strong in places where I'm weak. And then trusting other people in that as well is, is really a blessing that I think we all have together.
1: Now... Becca's situation where she had sort of a natural end point with her time at the Hawkettes by turning 65 and collecting social security. I wonder when will you know it'll be time to end your time as a founder slash leader of the Ozarks? What's the indicator for you that this phase is done for the group and they move forward?
4: Hmm. I think realistically, I think geography might have a lot to do with that. I personally have plans of going back to school and pursuing higher education. And we're actually kind of in that situation right now. So Breyer is finished finishing up his second year of his master's degree. And so we've brought in another person who is incredibly strong logistically, but also a really excellent musician that we trust and that we know and we we sang with. And, you know, it's kind of funny. She actually helped start a group when she was in college. So she has that foundational experience of having really, really early groups and being able to work with that. And she's a teacher. And so I think being able to again staff your weaknesses and invest in in the place and other people's strengths and that's the role I think that we would need filled. And I, I honestly don't know if we would be able to do it. Kind of like what Nick was saying. There's three of us, and I you know we have good friends that you know run a similar group. It's Casey Acapella, James Levy, who we stole everything from. We stole so much stuff from him. But he does it by himself and he is all of us together, you know, and so I don't know how we could do that. We I, we almost need three people, to I think, to be able to operate as efficiently as we do. And so I think, yeah, geography is the main thing of, hey, I think while I'm here, this is something that I want to be invested in. And But honestly, I think when that time comes, I think I'll, I'd will like to still at least be a big fan whenever that time comes. And just also being able to trust that the people behind me will care enough and care the same. Because I think more than anything, what I would want is just for them to be even more successful. All of us have the the same foundational experience of of being a A founder. And so it's almost like a a parent and a child. I think parents don't want nothing more for them, for their kids to be more successful or to have a better life than they did. And so I think that's kind of where I'm at. And so just trusting and you know that, hey, the all that I've been able to do and all that I've contributed is only going to hopefully set up the group for success in the future. I trust the organizational prowess that we've built in terms of being able to replace and be fluid and then just knowing and being excited for when that time is to come that it was a really cool chapter and everything comes to an end for sure
1: becca if you had it all to do over again would you
3: absolutely i think as a music educator having a place where i could practice those techniques you know twice a week that was just amazing it was an amazing opportunity and i look back at all the good times look back at all the difficult times and i would keep both Absolutely.
1: Is there one thing or a thing that stands out for you as something you might do differently if you had to do it all over again? Knowing Honestly, now,
3: I mean, I think I would have been a little kinder to myself at times if we're going to get real deep here. I really put so much pressure on myself as the founder and the music director and I took everyone's stress and I kind of like engulfed it a little bit. So I, I think I would have, if I were to redo it, I would say, hey, you know, you can give that job to somebody else or you can just take care of you and everybody else will take care of themselves. So yeah well if we had a
0: chance to do this all over again we definitely would thank you so much to nick gomez cologne from inside voices and fine-tuned becca crevello from umass lowell hawkettes and Gio hernandez from the Ozarks. and stay tuned for next week when we will be talking with festival directors and how do you manage a festival in times like these so have a great week and we'll speak to you again next one